Dynamic things happen when you combine propane and sparks. It's pretty, pretty well known, right? Uh, I remember being a teenager uh, in the 90s and standing in front of the gas grill. And I was trying to think about this because, I was, well, I just wanted to remember what the scenario was that brought me to this place. But I don't remember exactly. I think I might have been at a friend's house. I don't know what was being grilled. Um, I don't know why I felt that I ought to be helpful. But uh, whoever was operating the grill just couldn't get it to light. He was probably older, maybe the ignition had, had, had burned out or whatever. And me being the impetuous 90s, long hair, well, fairly long hair uh, teenager, I thought, I've got a solution. I know science. And so I stepped up, and this I do remember. I looked over it because why? I don't know. Again, you don't need to look to see if propane is coming out. You smell. But I looked, and I remember just, this was my, this was my fix. Click, 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 click. And nothing happened until something happened. And all I remember is fire, just fire, just lots of fire. Um, I don't, it was like a blink of an eye. My, my medulla oblongata took over, I don't know, and I was out of the way, but I think I may have singed some of my hairs, and I had solved the problem. There was fire. Um, dynamic things happen when you mix propane and sparks, and that's a silly story, but but it's interesting that when it comes to encountering Christ, dynamic things happen when the fuel of your life comes in contact with the spark of Jesus Christ. You know, your life can seem kind of inert or, or unaffected by the world. It, it is what it is, what it is, what it is, day in, day out. But that moment that you encounter Christ in a real way, all of a sudden, fire. Hopefully it's not the same kind of fire that I experience. It's more constructive rather than destructive, but um, sometimes it's both, as we'll see in the life of Saul. So stand with us. I'm going to read out of Acts chapter 9, verses uh, 1 through 19. I'm going to read it for the sake of the length, but stand with me and, and read in your heart as we consider this word together. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, in a vision, a man named Ananias coming uh, and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain sight. Verse 13, but Ananias answered him, Lord, I have heard many 
uh, sorry, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he, has, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your grace, your mercy. God, it is a comfort to me that you would call a man like Saul, that you would call him to yourself, that you would redirect his purposes, that you would take him from being an opponent of the gospel at odds with you and make him one of the most significant followers of Jesus Christ in the history of your church. God, I thank you that it is not too great of a thing to you to overcome our own self-righteousness. God, I thank you that it is not too great of a thing for you to overcome our fears. God, I thank you that you desire to encounter your people. And, and the things that you desire to do, you will do. So God, I pray that by the ministry of your Holy Spirit and the reality of your omnipresence, Lord, that you would minister and encounter this morning. That we, by means of your word and your spirit, would encounter Christ freshly. That we'd be freshly reminded whose righteousness we stand on and we be freshly reminded in whom our confidence rests. God, we pray that you'd be with us, minister to us, open our eyes to see and behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So today I wanted to talk about two people, but I think we're going to get through one of those people, Saul. Now you might, if you've not read through the Bible or you're not super familiar with this character Saul, he also goes by the name Paul. And just, just for sake of clarity, there are many names that God changes in the Bible. This is not one of them. You know, uh, the, uh, Jacob is called Israel. Um, Abram is turned to Abraham. Saul has a Jewish name and a, and a Greek name. So this is not necessarily an, an application of, of transition, but Saul is Paul. And if you've not heard of Saul, you've probably heard of Paul. Paul is the writer of much of the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd, uh, Corinthians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, just open the New Testament and he probably wrote it. He wrote a lot. There, there are some other people who wrote as well, uh, but he wrote a great deal of this Bible. And what's interesting is he starts out as this character, Saul. He's well known as Saul. And, and so I wanted for us to consider a short biography of Saul. And in order to do so, I'm going to quote him. 
out of Philippians chapter 3. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. He, Saul is, Paul is talking about his own credentials, about who he was prior to this encounter with Christ, and he says this. Um, he says, I'll start in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship worship by the Spirit of God in the glory of Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. And then he, he kind of sets aside. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have a reason for self-confidence, self-righteousness. He says this, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. See, Saul was a man who was zealous for God, though ignorant of God. It's a strange thing to behold, to think that you could be zealously trying to pursue God and and actually be pursuing something completely different from who God actually is. It says that he was was circumcised. That was a mark of obedience by his parents for a a, a Jewish male. He was an Israelite and part of the the tribe of Benjamin, one of the tribes that that was last to, to walk away from God. He was a true Hebrew, one who spoke Aramaic. He was a fastidious observer of the law as a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the ones who, they would give their tithe and their offering, but then they'd also go to their, their, uh, their spice drawer and they'd give a tenth of those things as well. I mean, they were trying to parse out the word, parse out the laws of God and obey at the most granular level. It says that he was a zealous, a zealous follower of God, though um, it was as he understood it. And according to the outward markings of the law, he was blameless. In other words, Saul had reason to feel self-righteous. Saul had reason to feel self-righteous. If we go back to Acts, we see some of his interactions with the the Christians in chapter 7, starting in verse, actually, uh, if you start in verse chapter 7 at the beginning, you see this character, uh, Stephen the, the deacon. And Stephen is, is a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's ministering. He's actually doing signs and wonders. And he interacts with some of the Jewish believers. And, and, or, sorry, not the Jewish believers, but some of the Jews. And begins to have this dispute with them. And he goes from, from Abraham forward and basically has this long speech and ends it by saying something really winsome and encouraging. Um, he said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels, it did not keep it. Not the most winningest of speeches, but it was true. And so when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. I mean, you, this, this is a visceral scene that you can picture. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Uh, this, is, this is the only occurrence, I think, in the Bible of him, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. He's standing for the sake of the first martyr. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with loud voices and stopped their ears and rushed at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 8. And Saul approved his execution. Saul was an opponent of the church. He was a persecutor of the church. He was self-righteous to the core. Self-righteousness blinds us from seeing the truth. What's crazy is that Saul, as he becomes a, a, a Christian, you find out that all of that information that he had was valuable, but it was working against him as he, he, when he was rejecting Jesus Christ. He was spiritually blind to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. He was foolishly committed to opposing the Christians. And I say foolishly, there's kind of a, a youthful zealousness here, zeal that, that is at work in the life of Saul. Because you see another believer, if we were to go back to Acts chapter 5, you see that, that some of the, the Jewish believers, are, or sorry, that some of the Jewish leaders are, are addressing this issue of the Christians. And, and they're saying, well, what should we do? And Gamaliel, who's one of the high priests, I believe, the, a Pharisee in the council called Gamaliel, teacher of the law, said this, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For behold, before these days, uh, Thutis rose up claiming to be someone, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, talking about the Christians... I tell you to keep away from these men and let them alone, for if these plans or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. He was a wise man, if an unbeliever. And we see that Saul has this youthful zeal that, that disregards wisdom and runs ahead. Now, you and I may be not may not be persecuting the church. You're in church, and I'm thankful for that fact. Thank you for keeping things cool and not persecuting the church. Um, but we are all tempted to establish our own standards of righteousness. That, that What we see so clearly in Paul, what we see so vividly in this person, Saul, is intended to draw attention to our human nature that we desire to set up a standard of righteousness that we can say, I've attained to that. And Paul, in several of his letters, goes so far to say, I had attained to that standard of righteousness. The problem was that standard of righteousness was broken. And don't kid yourself. How many times have you been driving and you thought, well, I'm not as crazy as that driver, even though you also were speeding? You know, I, 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 I know I did that thing, but did you see what my coworker did? You know, you're having your performance reviews and you know, you're having a discussion about how much better you are than, than Bill. Bill's always, always the, the one screwing things up. If you knew my spouse, you'd understand. See, the problem is that we all set a standard that we want to follow, and we all find ourselves to be self-righteous. And now Saul's on this journey to, to persecute the, ch the church, and, and Jesus engages. Saul's life, his, the 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 propane of his life is about to be ignited by 
the spark of Jesus Christ. It says that now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus appears to Saul. And this moment kind of alludes to the brightness of God's glory in Jesus Christ. I just read uh, 1 John this morning and it talks about how God is light. And so when we see these pictures of light, they point to the nature of God as pure and holy and, and unapproachable and, and overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever stared at, don't stare at the sun, kids, but I don't know if you've ever stared at the sun. I remember doing this, walking out in, in some apartments, I think in Manassas, we lived in Manassas, I think it was Manassas, so I was just a, a pretty young kid, I would have been killed builder's age, and I remember just staring at the sun and being like, well, this hurts, the sun's pretty bright. I don't know why I did that, but I have contacts now, so here we are. Um, light is overwhelming. It's powerful. It's, it's an expression of energy. And, and Saul is knocked down as a, as a light flashes around him. The same light that physically blinds Saul will soon give him spiritual sight. And Jesus does three things. He asks a question, he gives an identification, and he gives a command. He says, first of all, why are you persecuting me? Jesus took it personally that Saul was after the church. Saul thought, I'm, I'm going after these people who are trying to destroy everything that God has established. And God in Christ comes to him and says, you're coming after me. And that should give us pause anytime we want to come with criticism. We want to come with a sense of self-righteous indignation. And we want to bring a truth to a person. And ask ourselves, am I attacking something that's wicked or am I attacking a work of God? Some things are obviously wicked. I mean, the Bible is very clear about some things. But we need to be careful that we're not being led by our self-righteousness. He asks this question. Paul later goes on to develop this idea, right? He says that Jesus is the head of the church and we are his body. Right? Jesus identifies himself with the church. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He goes from questioning to identifying himself. Jesus is transforming Saul's understanding of the situation. He thought he was fighting against a heretical and dangerous splinter group, but he was actually opposing God. I don't know how long he was on the floor, but I imagine it felt like forever. Because, again, just one chapter ago, He's literally watching a man die as people pummel him with rocks. I mean, that's, that's gory. And he's remembering, approving of that execution, thinking like, this is the right thing. And then he's faced with this person who's saying, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he thinks back to that moment. Can you imagine the guilt, the shame, the horror, the terror that he felt in that moment when his self-righteousness was cracked in half? And then finally, Jesus gives this command. He says, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. Now that Saul has encountered Jesus and understands Jesus' authority, he obeys. When we don't obey what God has called us to do, we don't treat him as the authority that he is. 
That's fairly simple, right? <laughs> that makes sense. Um, but sometimes it's helpful to remember that he is our authority. Sometimes it's helpful to come back to the tape and say, okay, Jesus, who are you? What has Jesus told you to do? Where, where do you need to obey him? Some of you, God's been speaking to you and there's been an, an issue in your life and you've said, you know what, God, let's talk about this thing over here. But there's been this thing that, that he's wanted to address. God wants you to obey. Who do you need to forgive? What change do you need to make in your life? How, how do you need to trust Jesus differently today? You know, I'm so thankful for the, the ministry that we had in worship, that we, we, we felt the presence of God ministering life and grace and hope and healing. But I want you to understand that that, that ministry, God expects it to be coupled with a, a holiness that comes when we submit ourselves to him. The, the, God has very little patience for those who desire the benefits of God but are unwilling to submit to God. And that was, that was the Pharisees. They wanted the authority and rulership of God, but they were unwilling to obey. So as you're thinking about these things and things are coming to mind, I didn't write this sermon with you in mind. <laughs> I mean, in a general sense, I did, but I didn't, you know, Bill's got this issue and he told me about it, so I'm going to write this thing. He needs to repent. So if there's something you're like, oh, that's the grace of God flowing in your life. Write it down right now. Repent. Change. Do what it is. I don't know what it is, but God does, and you do. Do it. Anyway, Saul goes to Damascus, a changed man. He goes humbled, blind, fasting, thinking about everything he knew, thinking through all of the scriptures that he had learned, maybe thinking about Isaiah 53 you know, he, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was, he was uh, not considered, he was marred beyond recognition. All of us has gone, have gone astray. I mean, Jesus, or Paul goes on in Romans to quote that section of Scripture and, and reflect back to Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, as he's walking to Damascus, as he's thinking, and he's not distracted by anything because he's also blind, he's reconstituting his faith. And he's realizing that at the height of his own self-righteousness, he was actually seeking to kill the people of God. That's, that's the danger of thinking that you're, you're all that. That's the danger of me thinking that I have arrived, is that not just that I will, I will uh, miss it, but that I will actually find myself opposing God. And God says that he, he opposes the proud, and who are the self-righteous but those who are proud of their own righteousness? But he gives grace to the humble. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have to, you know, some of us are like panicking. We're like, okay, well, what do I need to do, Eddie? What do I need to do to fix my self-righteousness? You can't do anything. Right? That's the point. You and I, we can't fix this. The grace of God is that when we humble ourselves and we say, God, I... I don't have this together. I'm sorry. I, I struggle with forgiveness. I struggle to obey. I struggle. It's at that moment that God says, okay, we can do something here. He goes back humbled. And he deals with our self-righteousness. He encounters this guy named Ananias. And we'll talk about him next week. 
Um, but he, he deals with Paul, and he puts Paul in relationship with this other man. And it's really an interesting thing. I would encourage you to go and read it. I mean, Ananias' fears are not unfounded. <laughs> you, you got this, this zealot who, who has watched a man, at least one man, get executed. And, and Jesus tells him, hey, um, I want you to go minister to that man. And he's like, Jesus, you know all things, but did you forget? <laughs> and they, they encounter one another. And it's one thing that happens when we encounter Christ is that God puts us in relationship with people we would never have otherwise expected to be in relationship with. And that reality is a blessing. He puts us in relationship with other people who we otherwise would have never had relationship with. And that reality, that diverse existence, is a blessing. He blesses us. Luke wrote Acts, and Luke is trying to get at the point that Jesus is Lord in this passage. And some of us are wrestling with our own self-righteousness. But Jesus is Lord over your self-righteousness. You can't, you can't rely on Jesus to make you right and rely on yourself to be right. Some of, you, some of us, we've been doing this Christian thing for a minute. And so we, we, we were like, yeah, I, I can, the gospel, Jesus died for my sins, he rose again, defeating Satan, sin and death, he, uh, and, and he offers eternal life to anyone who puts faith in him. Of course I put faith in him. And, and we, can, we can spout off the gospel, we can even quote the scriptures, but when it comes to the way that we relate to God, and when we relate to other people, it's based on our own performance. How well am I doing? Well, I've done really well in my Bible this week. I, uh, I prayed a lot. I, I, I gave extra to the church, and I walked that lady across the street. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Or, you know, I'm really struggling in this area, and, and uh, man, I, I just, what do I need to do to, to get, get better with God? And I'm not saying that your behavior and your works don't matter, but, but there's a temptation at every point in your walk to say, God, uh, I'm going to judge my life by my own righteousness, rather than saying, God, I'm going to rely on you, Jesus. Jesus is Lord over our own self-righteousness, and either you trust Jesus or you trust yourself. And if you're struggling to figure this out, what this looks like, um, if you find yourself, I've heard, this never happens to me, or it happens often, um, having to defend yourself, having to argue your right, having to explain your perspective because someone else needs to know it, then perhaps there are some things that God wants to address in your soul. Not, not to say that you aren't right, not to say that you aren't correct or accurate, but maybe the wrestling in your heart to be right is not a resting in Jesus being right. We'll continue next week. I apologize for the abruptness of this ending, but we're going to pray. And, and I believe that God is ministering to us, to me as well. It's always fun when you preach about self-righteousness. You better just giddy up and get ready. <laughs> um, but would you allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you this morning?
I'm going to pray, and I, I, I want to allow us to have, um, have a moment of, of continuing ministry. Uh, so if, if you need to do business with God, we're going to have some people up here who will pray with you. Uh, you can pray in your seats. But could I ask you to do a couple things? Would you pray and, and just ask, like the psalmist, if there's, any, if there's any, um, anything in, that you want to address in my heart, God, in a grievous way in me, would you address it? And then would you, would you do what he is asking you to do in this moment? Maybe it means texting someone and saying, hey, can we get together for coffee? I need to talk to you. I want to, I want to say I'm sorry. Um, maybe it's just praying. Maybe it's, maybe it's asking for, for God's guidance in, a, in an area. But would you, would you do that in this moment? Not just say, hey, I'm going to do that later. Go have lunch and then forget about it. Amen? Well, Heavenly Father, I'm, thank, I'm thankful for Jesus Christ. Because I, I need him. God, I need you. I, I find in my own heart a desire to be right. To be, be right apart from what Jesus has done. God, I see in my soul a desire to be declared right because I'm right and not declared right because I've trusted in the one who is truly right. And God, I thank you that you you are willing to root that out. And God, I thank you that your word says that you give grace to the humble. That you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so God, I pray that you would minister to the people in this room. Minister life and encouragement. That as we pursue the things of your spirit, your Holy Spirit falling, that we would trust with a fresh trust that we would trust the work of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.